0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. So playing the sitar there, and our guest in the studio. It's beautiful. Anushka Shankar. Anushka.
1: Hi, thank you.
0: Take us back to that night. Tell me, what was that concert?
1: So that was a live version of The Inner Light from the concert for George, which was a concert in memoriam for George Harrison on the one-year anniversary of his passing. So I, along with many other artists who were close to him, loved him, uh, took part in this show together. And it was a obviously, as you can imagine, a very memorable and special evening for us.
0: What do you think about when you listen to that?
1: I mean, I remember that night, you know, and I remember the, the feeling of, of, of paying tribute to someone I loved dearly, but also that, that so many people loved so dearly and how magical that, that evening was at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, and yeah, I'd never played that song before that night. So it was, it was fun to get to do that.
0: How well did you know George Harrison? Very, very well. How well? Like you, your father Ravi Shankar was very, very close to yeah. to George, and you know he really introduced George yeah. to Indian music. Yeah. And and um, you, you know, worked with you were fifteen.
1: Yeah, I worked with him. I mean, I was very, very close to him. He was like an uncle to me. so yeah. I knew him my whole life. He, I mean, this necklace I'm wearing was something he gave me when I was a teenager. You know, like he he was my spoiling uncle. He'd you know, give me lovely things on my birthdays and Christmas and, um, yeah, we were very close.
0: <laughs> so on that first album, By the mm-hmm. Chance of India, I think it was, that your father's playing on, George is kind of producing, you were there, what, getting the tea and you know, doing all I, sorts of things?
1: I, I didn't, I don't think my dad or anyone planned for me to end up conducting on that album necessarily, right. but I had started touring with my dad from a couple of years prior to that and I was assisting him. in in that capacity. I was playing next to him. I would do rehearsals with him. So what ended up happening around Chants of India was that I was the person around that started notating all of the music. So then when they were in the room teaching the Indian musicians, who of course, it's less from notation and it's more by ear, Mm -hmm. I was the one that would end up playing and teaching it. So then we'd end up in the room and I was the one that would know the music. So it kind of just happened that I ended up being the one that knew all the music to help conduct with, and they obviously gave me that opportunity to to learn through that as well.
0: Yeah, but we should point out you're 15 years of age at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Let's jump ahead a long way then to... Working with the Dalai Lama on his debut album, mm-hmm. again, how did that come about and what sort of a, an I album mean, they, was that? they
1: reached out to me and, uh, you know, it, it was more of a remote process, that one. I mean, His Holiness had a, had, a, I think, a whole series of meditations that he had spoken and recorded and they wanted me to play on one or two of the songs. And so I received the material that he had recorded and then I played quite freely around that myself. So it was It was a lot more like the, a lot of the modern processes now where you can often not be in the same room. But I had met okay. him a couple of times separately, right. but, yeah, not that time.
0: Um, your father was probably the most famous Indian musician of all time. Mm-hmm. Was it inevitable that you would become a musician, or was it something that you loved, not just because mm-hmm. of your father? Why did you become a musician?
1: I think many things can be true at once. I mean, I, I don't know if anything's inevitable per se, but... Uh, I, I did love the music very much, and that door was very open to me um, through through my father being, you know, not just willing, but keen to teach me, but also for all the same reasons that it was such a wonderful opportunity. It was also very, very intimidating. And so as a young kid, I I know I started early. I started touring early and I started, you know, I was quite precocious, I guess, in that sense. On the other side, the whole time it was freaking me out. So I'd started touring and I was playing, but I was also terrified of it. So it was kind of like I was taking one step at a time because I loved it. While at the same time always saying to myself, well, well, I'm not sure, you know, maybe when I graduate high school, I might do something else. Maybe this is just for now. And and that gave me the buffer and the space to, to keep going and I guess fall in love with it more and more. And so by the time I was 18, I think that was the tipping point where I, I'd applied to universities. But I had to make a decision at that point. It was like, am I going to university? Mm. And by that point, I knew I already was doing what I loved. And so I just went into touring full time.
0: But the sitar is a notoriously difficult instrument yes. to play. <laughs> and in fact, you, you're you not really taught it. You have to learn it at mm-hmm. the foot of, the, of a mm-hmm. master, don't mm-hmm.
1: you? I mean, people do it differently now too, like in the less core classical way. you they're not got learning off YouTube, are they? Learning like off something. YouTube. Really? Yes. Oh, um, and I have mixed feelings about that because on one level I love how accessible that makes it. But of course there is a nuance to, especially if you're learning a classical music form, as opposed to just learning the instrument, you know, and and the the music, the sitar is so synonymous with the music. So if you're learning that, then to do that with a guru, with a teacher is essential because Mm. it is, our music does not exist in the same written down notated format as Western classical music. So you have to really have that uh, transmission from somebody.
0: And you did?
1: My father, from the beginning. From the very beginning, he
0: was the only one who taught you? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was wild.
0: (laughs) How good a teacher was he?
1: You know, Hugh, I would say, someone else said this when I was younger, and so it's not my, my original idea, but I think it was true that he was one of the only people that was equally as good as a composer, a performer, and a teacher. Because I think there's so many different aspects to music. You're not always necessarily going to be great at all of them. And he was, you know, he was an incredible composer. He was an incredible creator and improviser, obviously a consummate performer, but his passion for sharing the music with the world translated into teaching Mm. the same way. And um, I think perhaps in Indian classical music, again, that's a lot more common because that's part of the process. You get it passed on to you and you pass it on to other people.
0: Who gave it to him? Who passed it on to him?
1: So he studied with a a legendary guru called Baba Alauddin Khan, who was... um, a sarod player, actually. Um, so he learned from a sarod player and had to translate to the siddhar, but, but through him had this, the seeds of the music passed on. Yeah.
0: Anushka Shankar is our guest. Does that mean that you had a connection with Danny Harrison as well, George's son? Danny, but,
1: yeah, we're friends, we're mates. Um, I've known him since I was really young. And, but he um, was
0: also someone who kind of learned from his father and had to live for a while in his father's shadow.
1: I mean, that living in someone's shadow thing is such an, I think, external concept. No one is ever really living physically in a shadow. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is a perception that one has to learn how to deal with. And, um, you know, he had that, I think, to a greater degree than than I have. But I I definitely relate.
0: (laughs) Because you, I'm not going to say you've exceeded your father. No. <laughs> but you wouldn't say that. Now I could say that. Yeah, obviously he was a legend, but you are renowned as the greatest sitar player in the world. And I'm not embarrassing you by saying that. And by all means please agree. But like
1: <laughs> I love the please <laughs> agree. I mean, <laughs> I mean it's subjective, isn't it? I think I think I'm in an incredible and very fortunate position. Like I'm probably I'm probably one of the best sitar players out there. Um but I also have have built a career that I'm in a really, I guess, touchwood, very strong position as a sitar player, so yeah. I might be the best known. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I'm the best. <laughs> but when people
0: want a sitar player, I'm not just talking yeah. about people yeah. like Sting, who I yeah. know you've worked yeah. with, and, and so many others, um, they reach out to you. And then orchestras, mm-hmm. if people are putting together mm-hmm. um, benefit shows, mm-hmm. they reach out to you as mm-hmm. well. Maybe it is because you are the best known, mm-hmm. but also because you're the best.
1: Um. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I love, I love getting to do all of those things. I think the bulk of what I do is my own albums, my own composition, touring with my bands. Um, but getting to do those guest collaborations, getting to play with orchestras, mm. all of that is a total joy.
0: How difficult is it to sort of mix the Western and the Eastern when it comes to music? How different, how yeah. much the same are they?
1: I mean, that's a great question. I think everybody will do it differently you know, um, and at different levels. So I think it's very difficult to do well. But if one has an understanding of multiple music styles, then it's not that difficult. And I think more and more so now, I think the younger generations are growing up with so many forms of music and so many traditions are so much more inherent within them that I feel like I see more and more people doing it with a certain taste and skill level than than used to be the case. Mm
0: -hmm. So the rock and pop stars that have reached out to you and want you Mm -hmm. on their work, Mm -hmm. Who are the ones that you think really wanted to know about you and your music and really Mm -hmm. wanted to learn about it rather Mm -hmm. than just think, you know, I want to have that sound on my record, but they wanted to know more about the whole process of creating
1: it? Mm. Um, You know, the first person that comes to mind, I didn't actually ever – collaborate with him on record but we played a couple of benefit shows together and 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 hung out a couple times was was the incredible jeff beck and he had such a real you know and he was like that yeah yeah. incredible guitarist and also such a wide range of interest and so when he heard he really wanted to know more he really wanted to understand and he had me sign one of his guitars and he called it the anushka (laughs) which was pretty incredible that is an incredible Uh, tribute isn't it yeah unreal um but yeah I, i think he was someone that really struck me as having that that kind of openness.
0: That's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. How many instruments do you play?
1: I only play the sitar at that level. Um I studied piano as a kid enough that I use it as part of my compositional work and, you know, occasional plinky plunk stuff if I need to <laughs>
0: One of our texters asks, "How difficult is it to play the sitar? To learn the sitar when it compared with other instruments?
1: If someone, if someone hasn't seen it, have a look at it, um, and have a look at it being played, and you'll see just from the get-go, I think to get to a level of sounding decent as a beginner can be a lot harder than a lot of other instruments. You know, for example, on the piano, as a as a beginner, you hit your one note and it can sound pretty, whereas maybe on a trumpet or a bassoon, it takes longer to learn how to produce a sound that's not painful. And it's similar on the sitar, like just the foundation of how you have to hold the instrument, how thin the strings are so that you can bend into them, how you wear the plectrum on the finger for mobility, all of that stuff and getting that coordination can be really, really challenging. Um, And I think once you get to a good level, then it's like any other instrument, the same level of work to keep yourself at a certain level.
0: But given how difficult it is to learn, once mm-hmm. you have learned it or mm-hmm. have mastered it mm-hmm. even in your case, are you then able to pick up a guitar and play that or is it totally different?
1: It is and it isn't different. I mean, I think playing a fretted string instrument means other fretted string instruments are easier because we get the concept, right, of where the notes are and how strings work. But uh, the Sithari in particular has a much longer neck and it's built uh for our tradition of music so it's more melodic than harmonic Mm. so someone who plays guitar that may be more used to strumming wide chords might have to work a little bit to get to the specificity of our notes and similarly like playing the sitar wouldn't give you the knowledge of chord structures on a guitar but i could play a melody on a guitar maybe quicker than than another beginner
0: anushka shankar is our guest your father had a long career before he was discovered in the West. Um, He was there during the Indian independence movement. Mm -hmm. And then in the years after that, and then tell me about what happened when Gandhi died and what your father was playing.
1: I think like with many um, world events or personal events, uh, he responded to the world with music. Um, So, you know, he, um, the the second national anthem of India is actually my father's melody. uh, And there are many other kind of uh, iconic songs and melodies that he's written that's a part of our part of our culture to the extent that people don't even know they're by him, you know? And so you're saying
0: when people hear the Indian national anthem... Yeah,
1: well, we have two. So our right. kind of second one, which is Se acha the melody is by him. And probably six people out of ten wouldn't even know that um, at this point. But it's just an embedded, <laughs> embedded song in everyone's psyche. Um, so similarly, when Gandhi passed away, he, um, he created a raga called Mohan Khans, like in response to to, to his passing and in tribute to him. But he created, I, I think, you know, 40 to 50 ragas in his lifetime. So that that was an ongoing thing. Mm.
0: I thought it was because he used the letters of the name Gandhi.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically, like, obviously, Gandhiji's name is, is Mohan Mohandas. And so using the, the Mani and Dha, which is our solfegic names for, th- for three of the notes, he kind of made those the focus notes of, of the raga. Yeah.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. When I spoke to Anushka Shankar, she was in Australia to perform at the Sydney Festival, a series of concerts. One was an outdoor concert at Parramatta, There were concerts at the Sydney Opera House and there was one very special show at the Brett Whiteley studio and that was where the great Australian artist Brett Whiteley worked and produced some of his greatest paintings. And there was a very special reason why Anushka Shankar performed at the Brett Whiteley studio and that was because Whiteley had painted a portrait of her father, Ravi Shankar.
1: Right. I didn't know that until this, this uh, had come about, and, and I found out that he had painted a portrait of my father, and they're actually – I believe it's usually in the archives at this point, but they're bringing it out for the performance, wow. and so um, it'll be out behind us, and I'll be performing in front of it. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that.
0: I want to play one more of your songs, and this is one of your songs. You're not mm-hmm. just playing mm-hmm. you know, George Harrison's song. It's called Traces of You. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the writing of that song, the performing of that yeah. song, and what it means to you.
1: So, traces of you was an album I did about ten years ago, um, and it only has one vocalist featuring across a few of the songs. The rest is instrumental, and that's my my sister Nora Jones, who's obviously an incredible artist. And that was the second time we'd worked together, but it was a bit more in depth across a few songs. And her voice just kind of floats so beautifully over over the melody. The song itself, though, was co written by myself and my producer of that album, Song. Bonnie, who's another incredible music and composer from the uk music incredible musician and composer from the uk um, and he um yeah really helped kind of build build the sound world of of the song and i'm, I'm really right it's like i think it's one of people's favorite songs it's one of the ones people call out a lot when we when we do our shows so yeah
0: abc listen podcasts radio news music and more